I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. You've just tuned in to Rebel Wellness, the podcast that's here to revolutionize your approach to personal health and well-being. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join our Rebel community. In a world that's saturated with fleeting diet trends and unrealistic beauty standards, we believe it's time for serious change. Our mission is simple yet profound, to empower women like you to break free from the confines of today's diet culture and embrace a holistic approach to health that's sustainable for the long haul. If you're like me, you're here to embrace the concept that true well-being encompasses every facet of your life, mind, body, and soul. Rebels believe in aligning our journey with our individual needs and values because a one-size-fits-all approach just simply doesn't cut it anymore. This podcast is your safe space to explore the depths of wellness guided by myself, experts, real-life stories, and genuine commitment to your growth. You're here to begin your transformative journey, and it's time to discover your own version of balance in your health. Every week when you tune into Rebel Wellness, we'll learn, grow, and rebel against the polarizing outdated norms to finally achieve lasting vitality and joy. Because that sounds pretty great, right? Your journey starts now, and I am so excited that you're here. All right, after implementing a huge mindset and perspective change around my immune system, I have for sure changed the game for my illness risk, I guess I would say. So today we are going to cover a very necessary topic to this fall season, and I think it may offer a lot of insight to the mystery that is your body, as well as help you fight bugs faster, recover better, and avoid getting sick, perhaps altogether. I am not going to tell you anything that I don't personally do myself or believe myself, and I have definitely spent the time to make sure that my understanding is still the accurate science behind it. So we're going to get into a really important episode topic today about your immune system and better understanding it because once I changed my understanding about it and how I took care of myself through it, guys, I literally like knock on wood, I get sick maybe once or twice a year, if anything. Like I've actually only gotten sick the last few years because of the lovely virus we have all known to be circulating around and be a little bit hardcore. But even when I've gotten ill with those, the first time I was only massively ill for five days and recovered very fast. And then the second time that I got infected, I recovered in 48 hours and I've been able to avoid it ever since. So there's a lot of things like I'm not going to say anything's magic and everybody's immune system is unique. But today's topic We are going to dive all the way into how to support your immune system during this flu cold season because like it's slapping everyone around right now. (laughs) Like I don't know any clients that haven't gotten something in the last month already. So let's dive into that in a moment. But first, some very quick housekeeping. As always, I would love to see you come join our newsletter. Things are starting to roll out and launch now. And in the coming year, we've got all the exciting things on the way. So you don't want to miss out. So come join us at coachkales.com and join our newsletter. Again, I don't spam. I'm not like those people that are sending you like an email every two days. Like who else hates that? I hate that. (laughs) I am never going to be that person. Um, And if you haven't already and you are a avid listener or a new listener, I would love for you to come join our community on Instagram at coachbykales, which is actually soon to be renamed at Kaylee Loren. That launch is coming very soon. A lot of my followers have already been notified about that change, but I'm very excited about it. But if you do search, if you've listened to my past podcast and you've heard at Coach by Kales, I'm going to have a thing to redirect you to at Kaylee Loren and our podcast page at Rebel Wellness Podcast. So come join us on Instagram. That's our current main hub right now. And I would love to see you come say hello, join, whatever. I usually say hello if I see you and I have not met you before. (laughs) So I'd love to see you there. And if you find any of this episode beneficial to you, I would love for you to share it with somebody that you think could really benefit from at least one little nugget of wisdom that comes out of this. So let's jump right into the episode today because I There's a lot we're going to pack in here, and I'm going to try to not make it overwhelming as possible. So if you did like this episode, I'd love your random feedback as well if you wanted to throw me a DM, but let's get into it. 
so first let's start with saying we ain't got time for fluffy imaginary medicine and we also don't have time to go waste money or impact your kidney health on like tons and tons and tons of NyQuil or Tylenol and all that stuff. So I would say today we're going to be kind of landing smack in the middle of both sides of approaches to dealing with when you become ill. I would say definitely grab your notebook and maybe some herbal tea or something because we're going to biohack our way into supporting your immune system the way that it's intended to be. So not profit-based and not (laughs) imaginary-based. Not to say that there's some aspects of like a more spiritual approach to medicine that doesn't work, but a lot of that has to deal with the internal state of the person. And I am not going to be able to teach any of that or I, I just obviously I'm not qualified for that because that's not my scope. So I'm going to be landing right in the middle where we're going to be kind of implementing a little bit of both sides, but a lot of mostly a whole different category of what actually supports your immune system on biology, physiology, all that jazz. But I want to also say I am not a doctor and nothing I'm talking about today should be used to diagnose or treat any illness. And I am just simply covering my best tips and wisdom for supporting your immune system naturally. Because during this heightened illness season, we really want to be well equipped with tools to tackle icky bugs and also help our children or our family members or our partners or our friends get out of this kind of really bad pit of illness. (laughs) But if you're listening, Please do not replace any specific care from your medical practitioner with what we chat about today. Today is simply about immune boosting tips and taking care of yourself. It's not about how to heal from some significant illness, okay? So the basics of your immune system, let's jump into that real quick. And we'll talk about the basics of like flu cold viruses. So I am not an immunologist, but I spent a lot of time learning from world-renowned immunologists online and as well as in person with other practitioners that are either my past clients or friends of mine, you know, all that kind of stuff and gathering all of the information together for you. So the thing that I think is important why I'm bothering talking about teaching you a little bit about the science behind it is because I have always found if you do not understand the mechanism of which you get sick, you think that all illnesses are scary and magical and there's no way to avoid it, right? And there's a lot of conversations in the past few years where people were kind of gaslit into not understanding illness. And regardless of a new virus or whatnot, we are always going to have the same immune system. We, we understand our immune system and we know how it fights things. Yes, it can be a new way that we are fighting a more hardcore virus perhaps, But it's really important to understand that our body still is equipped with the same mechanisms to try to attack it. That's why a lot of the times we get the same symptoms for various types of viruses and bacterial infections, etc. So that's really important to understand because it removes the mystification of understanding why you're sick. It doesn't just like get into your body and then attack you and do all this weird alien stuff, at least for now. (laughs) Everything is figureoutable when it comes to how our body is attacking the pathogen that comes into our body. So I think it's really important that you understand all the basics of this because of that. And there's a ton of, I don't know about you, but for me, there's a ton of like word of mouth and generational wives tales about illness that have passed down, like, especially for my grandma, like the whole wear a hat, you're going to catch a cold, you know, (laughs) stuff like that, that we just have like kind of unintentionally logged in our belief systems around seasonal bugs that are not actually always true and can be kind of damaging to our understanding of things as well. Um, Some of that has truth and there's a lot of things that are like, okay, they're a little bit hardcore because your mom just really didn't want you to do something dumb. (laughs) You know what I mean? So we want to kind of break down some of those as well with better understanding your immune system. Because it's kind of like taking your power back in that way. And I think I'm a huge fan of like taking your power back and not just kind of, uh, I'm just going to follow whatever this thing told me to do or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the flu virus typically enters your body through your nose, which is probably surprising and also kind of hilarious for a lot of people who the last few years were not really covering their nose, if you know what I mean. And it comes in your nose through droplets from an infected person who sneezes or coughs near you. That's like up to six feet. Uh, If a sick person is standing that close, they can spread germs to you. Or if like, for example, a really common thing is somebody 
is infected, they sneeze or cough in the grocery aisle and like walk away. And two seconds later, you walk into it without knowing or seeing them and you inhale those uh, aerosols of the infected uh, saliva. So once it's in your nose, the virus kind of sets up residence and begins infecting the cells in your nasal passageways and airways. The virus enters a cell and then replicates and it makes like, quote unquote, a daughter virus, aka a copy of itself. And then it goes and infects more cells and more cells and more cells. This is exactly what viruses want to do. They want to make more of themselves so they can have a bigger party in your body, basically. And that's where your body, your immune system kicks in because it wants to be like, yo, we're not okay with this. Like, I'm going to actually try to fight you now because this is my turf, basically. So once you catch the flu, your body is a battleground. So the flu virus is an invader. Your body wants to oust and the microscopic battle ensues. So while the virus like enters your cells and replicates constantly, your cells go on the defense. They release chemical signals called cytokines to call for aid from your immune cells. These cytokines are not the flu that makes you feel crummy. They cause the fever, muscle aches, and other flu-like symptoms that most of us typically associate with the virus itself, but they're actually a result of the inflammation as your body is going on defense. So this is a common misconception is that people take things like NyQuil, DayQuil and all that junk to try to mute these symptoms. But in reality, it's actually a mechanism that your body, its defense cells are rolling out to try and actually kill the virus. So this is a really important concept to understand. So rewind that and listen again, take some notes if it's helpful for you, because we do have to understand that when we choose to take over-the-counter meds that mute these things, that reduce our fever and all that stuff, it's like we're basically saying, screw you, immune system. I'm going to do it myself because I'm uncomfy. You know what I mean? And like, not to say that fevers can't get out of hand and things like that. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But it is important to know that your body's like, hey, I know what the F I'm doing. I'm going to do these things. And you're not going to feel great, but it's going to handle this invader essentially and then you're like eh, I'm gonna just like turn down the volume on you for a second because I don't feel good you know what I mean and or I need to work and things like that and that's a whole different conversation but we should never really be working when we're in the like fever zone because that's our body's timeline where it's like let's go let's get these mofos out of here like we're gonna deal with this and then if you immediately the moment you get a fever pop Tylenol or any fever reducer and things like that, then you're basically telling your body like, no, 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 I got other things to do, you know, and then that's how people end up down the road of things like walking pneumonia and various other um, infections, sinus infections, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that come from when we turn off that first line of defense. So um, again, I will talk about that a little bit more, but it is important to know that that's kind of what you're doing when you do something like that. So that's why I personally never, especially in the first 48 take any of those kind of symptom muting supplements or medicines that you can get at like CVS and stuff. So again, once the pathogens have entered your body, various glands basically begin a defense attack and kill them as best they can. So like the tonsils and your adenoids are in your throat and your nasal passage, and they are there to stop and destroy pathogens in this area. They're trying Basically, it's kind of like where it enters, they're putting up blockades each step of the way. So if you think of like a spaceship in all of the different like Star Wars and things where every time somebody good is trying to infiltrate any of the strongholds of the dark side, they are always blocking and shutting down the compartments of each part of the ship, right? So if you think of it that way, that's kind of what different organs in our body are actually there for. If you're somebody who got your tonsils removed, I still have mine. Um, you are losing a defense step, essentially. You're losing that first door. And that's not necessarily a death sentence, but it is just something to know that you are going to be at higher risk for getting more of infiltration, so to speak, because the tonsils are no longer there to stop the pathogens. <laughs> so then your lymph nodes, they're located all over your body. They often have a hard time, especially if somebody has cancer. For example, you might have heard of lymph nodes because of that. They are located everywhere in your body and they filter and kill 
germs to prevent them from spreading. So they're the next door, essentially. You, If you've ever noticed when you get sick in like the, the glands underneath your throat, those are your lymph nodes, and they'll get really sore and sometimes really like puffy and hard. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but that's a really common sign that those ones, again, if you think about it, they're right past your tonsils and such. They are going to be like, all right, I caught more and I'm going to try to kill them here. And then your spleen, which is in your abdomen, starts to filter out the damaged red blood cells and it stores germ-fighting white blood cells. So I'm, again, I'm not going to try to confuse you with it, but I want you to think about like your face down into your body because then your thymus gland, which is located in your upper chest, it helps mature white blood cells into your immune cell called T lymphocytes. And those we call, as I learned in anatomy in college... (laughs) your fighter T cells. Those are your cells that are like your Spartans essentially in your body. They actually even did a study back with children who had cancer and they did little imagery where they drew their little white blood cell fighter T cells all strong and puffed up and attacking the cancer cells. And then they showed kids like they, they didn't show kids that. So they showed them that, had them imagine their T cells doing that to their cancer cells And they actually had a significant increase in white blood cell production for these children that were fighting cancer cells, which was really fascinating. So it really kind of makes you understand how much your mind and body are actually connected. And nowadays we kind of can't imagine certain concepts because we've been so far removed from understanding our bodies. So I can see why like a lot of people be like, oh, that's just a placebo effect. But Something that a lot of people forget is that even if a placebo situation has an effect, it still worked. Because if you were never shown the picture of little fighter T cells fighting your body and picturing it for yourself, you would just be sitting there and kind of existing the way you already were. So by the fact of doing an imagery type thing, that actually makes it work if it does have positive results. If you did that and there was no positive results afterwards, then the placebo didn't work, right? And then placebos also obviously are things like sugar pills and stuff. There's like a lot of different ways that you can quantify or qualify a placebo. But at the same time, when you think about it, if you were to uh, just think that something just kind of worked from a placebo effect, if it worked, then the placebo works. (laughs) A lot of people don't really get that in science, but uh, it was even a little bit complicated for me to understand when I was going through it in my class, the lovely class I took where I learned how to dissect studies and read peer-reviewed articles and yada yada. It was such a lovely class, but it actually has become very helpful for me, especially in a modern world where we have people who spout things that are not based on science or whatnot, or misinterpret studies as well, yada yada. Anyways, okay, side tangent. But we're going back to the science here. So the particular type of white blood cells that produce immunoglobulins or basically antibodies, which we all should be kind of familiar with that, especially after the last few years, understanding antibodies, those immunoglobulins recognize and bind to specific antigens, such as the bacteria or viruses, to signal other immune cells that they have to be destroyed. So basically they go around and they're like slapping a sticker on all of these virus cells, pathogens rather, and be like, hey, get rid of this one. Hey, get rid of this one. You know what I mean? And so it's really important that we have these immunoglobulins very strong in our body because they play a critical role in our immune system. And to kind of finish off, there's a lot more that goes into your immune system, but something worth talking about is your gastrointestinal system plays a crucial role in your immune system because your stomach secretes stomach acid, which kills germs when they enter. And the intestines contain immune cells in the mucosal layer in the gut lining. And so trillions of microorganisms that compromise the gut microbiome play an essential role in our immune defense as well. So if you are somebody who's taken a lot of antibiotics or you have poor gut health in general, maybe you consume a lot of high processed foods, a lot of acidic coffee, just a lot of things that, uh, a lot of alcohol, you know, there's a lot of things that attack this mucosal layer and will kill a lot of the positive gut bacteria that benefits your immune system. So I've seen a lot and lots and lots of people, especially clients I've worked with who have really unhealthy guts just from a lifetime of, you know, the world, the world. (laughs) And like what we've been taught or exposed to wrecking havoc on their gut and their gut is actually where when once the pathogen gets down into their body, 
their gut has no like assistance. It's basically like, Meh, can't really do anything. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I have a uh, intestinal permeability, AKA leaky gut, you know, things like that are signs that, yeah, you do have a compromised gut and it would be really, really important for you to consider working with like a functional medicine practitioner or a naturopathic doctor, gut health spe- specialist, <laughs> didn't I say that with a lisp to get your gastrointestinal system like up to par, doesn't need to be perfect, but a lot better. And you will see crucial changes in your immune system. That's so important, guys. It's so important. I've seen people who I know have bad gut health get wrecked with illnesses more than those who I know have a healthier gut microbiome. Uh, For example, my fiance has a really rough gut situation and he gets sick more often and longer than I do. So there's a lot of different things that come into it, but your gut health is definitely one of them. If that sounds relatable to you, like I said, go find somebody to help you heal it. I would not just follow arbitrary things you see online. Even if you find a gut specialist online, like on TikTok or Instagram, first off, please, like you guys have heard me before, if you've heard me talk about this, please fact check and background check who, what their qualifications are. Because there's a lot of people who say, I'm a gut specialist, and they literally have never had any professional education or experience in it. They just have been reading a lot and following things and being like, I decided that I'm really interested in the gut. I'm just going to sell my services already because I think I already know what I'm doing. But your gut is so intricate. And honestly, a lot of scientists don't even understand it fully yet. That's why we keep getting more and more information around the gut as years go on since like 2007. Because again, 2007 was like the first time we ever had microscopes that could actually see the gut bacteria and observe what they were doing. That's why gut health is a newer quote unquote science because we literally didn't have the technology available to see and do what we do now. So if you've ever wondered that, that's exactly why. Okay, so I know that there is a lot of other aspects that go into the immune system, like how it actually fully operates. I'm not gonna waste your guys' time with that because I know that it's not entirely going to be helpful for you (laughs) to get that full smackdown of science, but (laughs) it's really important to know that when people feel sick from the flu or whatnot, they're usually contagious for like the most of three to five days, but you can always feel symptoms for a lot longer and you're usually actually infectious a day before your symptoms appear and up to seven days after. So we're the bulk of our illness and infection is usually in the three to five days, but you can be infectious up to seven days after you get sick. Sometimes there's a little bit longer depending on the person's immune system and how like much the pathogen is roaring in their body. But again, you're definitely most contagious within the first three to four days once after you notice symptoms. So after symptoms show up. Uh, So if you do get sick with something that's again, the only way it spreads is from aerosols in the air, getting into someone else's who's not infected yet's nose, somebody who has not built antibodies against that illness in their nose. So it's actually a weird combination of simultaneously hard to get sick with the flu because it's so specific like that, but it's also easier because if you at least know somebody, it's like actually only 10% of the population gets the common flu bug that's going around in each season, which seems really low. But if you know somebody who's part of that 10%, you have a higher risk of getting it as well. But Again, if you're somebody who is concerned about that, you protect yourself with trying to block, if you're ill, you're trying to block your mouth and nose from spreading the aerosols. So again, does need to be more of like an N95 or something if you're trying to go down that route, if you want to use a mask. But at the same time, you also just need to protect your nose the most from allowing those contagious aerosols into your nose, you know, all that jazz. But Sometimes, like dominantly, you have no perfect defense against getting sick. Sometimes you literally, like I said, I think a lot of people have in the last few years, especially as we become more aware of virus um, infection, like again, somebody just sneezing or coughing in the grocery aisle and you turning the corner, them being gone and you walking into the cloud that they just sneezed. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do now? All you have is taking care of your immune system because your body can fight everything 
and it will if you support it, okay? So that's where we're gonna head into our next part of the chat because it's time you better understand your risk of illness and how you can support your immune system and even make it stronger because you basically, like a lot of people say immune boosting, um, that's kind of an improper term because essentially like you have a surface level, like let's say like the surface of the ocean is your immune system at the top. Like that's, that's it operating at its best. Anytime it's operating anything lower, we're going underwater. Boosting would mean we go above the water and we can't boost above what the maximum function of your immune system already is. So you have to think that either we're supporting and increasing our immune system back towards like we're recovering it or healing it back to its optimal amount of function <laughs> or it's lower. We don't boost it up above what it can actually do because it's just functionally not possible. So I guess a lot of people could say arguably that boosting just means bringing it up towards the top level of the ocean. You know what I mean? But in reality, we don't like using those terminologies because like boosting would imply that it's going better than it could be. And so I just kind of like to make that distinction because um, a lot of people in the like science-based world don't like using that term for immune system because it's kind of misleading. <laughs> but for you, um, I'm about to share with you a ton of really good tips that I have used to support my immune system and help it fight things faster and get them done and support myself against reinfection in the future. And it's like worked like tenfold, really a game changer once I've started following these kind of this protocol, quote, quote unquote, or tips rather, because I wouldn't say it's like a perfect protocol. But again, this is a great time for you to grab your notebook if you hadn't already or make a little note in your iPhone and start to write down some of these tips so that next time you get sick, you can practice them. So let's get into that. So real quick, let's talk about what does it look like to have a weakened immune system? Who's the most at risk for that? Because then your approach to preventative and more actionable immune system improving, <laughs> like whatever you can do to improve your immune system is going to be the most important to people who have weakened immune systems because you're the one who's at a higher risk of fighting off pathogens. And that's where, like I was saying before, you're a higher risk for getting things like bronchitis, uh, sinus infections, um, pneumonia and things like that, because then your body is not optimally fighting and it can get the pathogen can get around and wreck more havoc on your body. So it's important that we talk about that for a moment because it's, um, it's interesting to kind of take some internal count for yourself of like, oh, I might actually be somebody who has a weakened immune system. And I do want to always say when we talk about certain things, I never want anyone to feel called out or bummed just because you're potentially in a situation where your health isn't optimal. I mean, you're here, right? You're here to improve your health, to learn, to do better. And I think that anytime that we're talking about these things, it's easy for us to like want to ignore symptoms or not think about certain things that we're experiencing because we are more worried about getting like a diagnosis of like a lowered immune system or something like that. Or maybe you are somebody who has leaky gut and IBS and things. All of those contribute to lower immune systems because we had just talked about why, because pathogens can get through that gut lining and start to impact the rest of the body because it's not getting killed in these first lines of defense. So anyways, I just wanted to like include that comment because you can only do better with better knowledge and understanding of your body, right? It's not about, are you in the winning healthy team or the losing sick team? Like that's not what it's about at all. Because when we think about health that way, we get a little bit paralyzed in a kind of maybe ego battle or something like that, where we're kind of like, oh, I just, I can't, like, I'm fine. You know, I don't want to worry about it, or I'm not going to go and get the tests done that I need to get done because I really don't want to know that I'm not actually healthy right now. You know, all that stuff is possibly putting a block on your potential to get healthier and thrive. So I want to invite you to consider removing any sort of emotions or labels of whether or not you may be, like in this example, somebody with a lower immune system. Because it's really common nowadays because our life in the modern world here, especially in the U.S., is bombarded with a lot of just lifestyle habits and foods and 
environmental toxins that naturally are going to lower our immune system. So even the healthiest person, if they're living in like San Francisco or LA, like the smog and <laughs> other environmental exposures out there are already going to make it way harder for somebody, even if they have a healthy lifestyle and eating habits to remain with a really strong functioning immune system. Okay. So it's a very important. And then there's also genetic factors. So what, what causes lower immune systems? So there's obvious things, or at least it seems, I wouldn't say obvious, I guess, but naturally aging and pregnancy, because there's a lot of different hormonal shifts and physiological changes that come with both of those things, those are almost always associated with a weaker immune response. This is why we always are kind of concerned about pregnant women and elders in our communities when it comes to sicknesses and illnesses in general. Genetics can cause a lot of conditions with that result in a weakened immune system. So they usually would refer to that as an immunodeficiency disorder. And that can be anything from genetic thyroid issues to if you were born with like type 1 diabetes, if you're getting treated for cancer, if you were an organ transplant um, and you're using meds that suppress the immune system, you're at higher risk. People who are using like steroid medications and various things. Just there's a lot of different camps of people that will just naturally have more weakened immune systems than others. And so, if you're somebody who lands in one of those categories, it's very important for you to take your immune system as seriously as possible and support it as much as possible, so that you come out on the other end of an illness as best as possible. <laughs> I can't say you're going to come out perfect, but you know. That's very important, especially if you're, again, somebody with cancer, diabetes, HIV, like infections, etc. Another major common cause for lower immune systems is malnutrition and just different micronutrient deficiencies. So usually if we see people who are deficient in vitamin A, B6, B12, folate, C, E, copper, magnesium, selenium, zinc, vitamin D especially, all of those deficiencies will correlate to a weakened immune system because all of those micronutrients are major cofactors and supporters for the function of your immune system. So it's really important that you understand where you're at with those and get like a mineral panel done. And again, usually primary care physicians and like health insurance covered doctors will not run those for you because they are not considered necessary to them. But that's again why you should have a functional medicine or naturopathic doctor on the other half of your care team who can run these tests for you. Yes, they're going to be out of pocket, but you have to invest in your healthcare because actual healthcare here in the U.S. is sick care and you have to pay for your true healthcare. Um, in my opinion and many other people's opinions, and when you get your mindset in the right space to understand that, it makes it a lot easier and makes you more willing to pay for it and budget for it because similar to we don't just get like beauty products and clothing like fashionable clothing just for existing as humans, right? If we want nicer things and we want more things to take care of our skin, to take care of our physique or how we look, you know, you pay for a personal trainer, you're investing in something else to improve your quality of life, right? So same thing goes for like very specific blood tests, dried urine tests, saliva tests, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so you do have to invest out of pocket for those things. They are not covered and will never really be covered by uh, Western medicine, unfortunately. So it's important to understand that. And it's very important if you feel like you might be deficient because every single one of us is deficient in something. It's nearly impossible to be perfectly balanced in our micronutrients in a day like today. Not only because our food is less rich with these minerals and vitamins naturally, our lifestyle is very not promoting of maintaining proper mineral balance, micronutrient balance rather, because stress like sucks the body dry of a lot of extra minerals and vitamins more than a usual, like maybe the life of somebody who lives on a sea town in Italy, you know, like, and plus they probably grow all their food and stuff in really mineral rich soil. That would be the ideal situation for like a level, a, a level headed life probably, but obviously very unrealistic for most of us. So if you're somebody who works a busy job, maybe you have kids, maybe you just have stress because of existing and all of that, especially here in the US, you are using more micronutrients than an average human. And therefore you probably are not making those back up in the right pace to balance it out. So you're probably deficient in 
one, two, three, or maybe all of those things that I just listed. So that's very important to get that checked out. Sometimes a PCP could run that for you. You may want to ask, but um, oftentimes they don't, unfortunately. So um, that is really important to understand. And the other major common lifestyle factor that encourages a lower immune system would be alcohol. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, guys. I know how much this is like such a bummer, especially with because we are so stressed right now and whatnot, and the holiday season, which is the peak sales time for alcohol sales. Alcohol disrupts your immune function in several ways, not just one way. And the disrupting function especially is problematic for your immune cells in your respiratory system and the barrier function in the cells that line the lower airways. It's kind of new. You probably just figured it's all gut stuff, right? It definitely has a huge impact on the gut because it kills a lot of your gut microbiome, dan damages your immune system cells in your gut, and it increases your intestinal permeability, aka leaky gut, like I talked about before, which all contribute to negatively impacting your immune system and lowering your immune function. So we want to make sure that especially when you are sick, you do not partake in alcohol. And a lot of people do the whole like hot toddy thing and stuff like that. But in reality, it's not helping as much as it's hurting you. And you're probably better off just making a really solid herbal tea with like some good quality honey and lemon and just leave it there. Don't add the like vodka and whatever <laughs> or whiskey or whatever it is. But it unfortunately, when you're healthy, consuming large amounts of alcohol massively impacts your immune system for more than just fighting pathogens for like cold flu season. It impacts so many things. If you didn't listen to the alcohol episode, I would go back and listen to that for a lot more in-depth conversation about alcohol. But again, I want to approach it in a way where we're remembering that alcohol is a poison still. It's always, it's a neurotoxin. That's how it functions in our body. That's why we like the buzz, quote unquote, you know, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of that too. Like, especially because I never drank in high school or early college. <laughs> I started partaking in cocktails and things in my latter 20s. And so it was something where I was like, oh, I get why people love this thing. And then I started seeing the negative effects on my body. I could totally see my face changing and stuff. And I'm like, ah, okay, it's still a toxin and my body really, really shouldn't be consuming this in high amounts. So learn about that, become mindful about your alcohol, especially in the flu cold season and such. But overall, just becoming mindful in general about alcohol is a very good practice especially for your immune system. But I'm going to finish out this talk about lower immune systems by like symptoms of a lower immune system to like look out for. And that would include frequent infections. So if you're getting frequently sick, fungal, bacterial, your body's not fighting off some of these basic things, that's a sign of a lower immune system. Um, an infection or an illness that lasts like far longer than it's supposed to or becomes difficult to treat in your body like doctors are having to give you multiple types of antibiotics or something like that if you're fatigued even if you get enough sleep so even if you get eight hours of sleep for several days in a row and you're still fatigued that's a bad sign fever unexplainable weight loss a lot of diarrhea that doesn't stop or constipation that doesn't stop nausea frequent loss of appetite or if you look at blood work low white blood cell count or low platelet counts on your lab work. So those are all things that are worth noting. If any of those resonated with you, it might be really worth it for you to invest in getting some higher quality in-depth testing to figure out if there's maybe something more going on internally that you can catch sooner. Because again, preventative healthcare is so much more important and effective than downstream healthcare. Most of our healthcare is downstream healthcare. So I just wanted to go over lower immune system signs and better understanding it because I think that that is also key to this big picture. Okay, so the moment you've all been waiting for, let's get into some of my top practices that I implemented into my own life to help myself have the strongest immune system possible when trying to fight bugs, seasonal bugs. And now that you have all of the lovely science in your pocket, um, I think that this next section is going to be very helpful for you for figuring out what actual things to do and implement your life. And 
just see how you can better support yourself. But notice I said support, not cure or mute illness symptoms um, or illness in general, because this distinction is kind of key when you're developing a stronger understanding about what to do when you get sick, why you're sick, and all of the above. Because I think that we have to remember that we're supporting a system that is in your body for a reason to keep you alive. It's like survival mode to the max, <laughs> but nothing is going to be a magic pill to cure you. And I'm also not looking at ways to mute symptoms to get you through your illness because like, that's like NyQuil stuff. We're not, we're not doing that. And again, it's totally okay if you're a DayQuil, NyQuil person. I'm not poo-pooing it for like everyone. If it's for you, that's great. It's not for me, but if it's for you, keep on doing you, okay? Okay, so the first thing that I always do is, I'm just going to reiterate what I said above. I let my body's defense team rage. <laughs> well, not entirely rage, but that I don't let them get out of hand, but I let them do their darn thing. So this means that I don't interfere with like my fevers. Like I've told you before, I keep an eye on them. I make sure that they don't start to get over 102, you know, when they start to break into the kind of dangerously high zone, but it means that I don't take those drugstore things that mute my fever, like NyQuil, DayQuil, Tylenol, etc., because they are not going to let my body do what it's trying to do to kill because fevers are very effective at killing a lot of these pathogens that get into our body that get past those first few stages of defense, you know, and we don't want to like stop it. We want to let it do its thing. So even though it's uncomfortable and it's hot and this or that, as long as you're keeping your fevers in the low, like 100, 101 max, you're not going to have those negative side effects that typically can come from getting up into the 104s and things like that. Typically, if you're getting to 104s, you need to get to the hospital or you need to for sure take Tylenol or something like that to try to reduce the fever. So my first thing that I always do is if I have a fever coming on, I let it run its course. I would say that I have let my fevers go. I think ever since I was like cognizant of them around age like 13, 14, I've not taken like NyQuil, DayQuil um, for anything in my adulthood now. And I just turned 30 this last, or two months ago? Yeah, two months ago. So it's worked very well for me, very long-term. I would say that I think that by letting my body fight everything naturally, it's built better antibodies to different illnesses. And it's helped me stay stronger every time each flu cold season comes around <laughs> because that's how it works. You know, our body learns different structures of different viruses. And then anytime one comes back around or one similar comes back around, it can tag and recognize the different protein structures or whatever on the virus and then kill it essentially. So when it's trying to like sneak its way in. It's like, no, I know exactly who you are. I'm going to kill you. So <laughs> that's my metaphor for how virus antibodies work. And very similar to like how the RNA stuff works. It's that same kind of concept, but your body does that naturally on its own with other normal flu viruses and things like that. So that's the first thing that I do. The second thing I do is I sleep like a mofo. It's potato time. Like I am going to stop as much as I possibly can to get at least 48 to 72 hours of solid quality rest and sleep. So that means that I'm not overexerting. I am for sure not working out. I, the biggest myth is the whole sweat it out thing. That's so stupid and useless. <laughs> you have so many other healthy days of your life to move your body and do things. Moving in the, especially in the first 72 hours of an illness in a way that makes you like sweat profusely, like doing an exercise class or whatever, spin bike on Peloton, like nah, it's edging into a little bit of an exercise addiction. <laughs> Don't do it. Let your body rest. Your body wants to focus on killing the virus and the pathogens. You do not need to. Sweating it out is stupid. I don't like that concept at all. It's not useful. It's toxic, <laughs> literally. So I would say if at most possible, try to just be a potato in bed, sleep, nap, you know, watch some stuff, fall asleep, watch some stuff, fall asleep, and then go for a full night's sleep, you know, whatever works where your body's at rest and it's just fighting the thing that has always worked the best for me. I would say in both times I got variations of the, um, 
2020 bug. <laughs> I'm avoiding saying certain terms, as you guys can tell, because it gets flagged for everything. Um, and I'm not putting any opinions about that stuff on here. But um, I just let my body run its course, do its thing, heal. And that seemed to be the best thing I could have done for it. It was so uncomfortable, but it was only for 48 to 72 hours. And then I was out of it. Um, and then immediately, well, I'm not going to talk about that just yet. I'm going to tell you after this, but first thing it, or second thing is sleep. Let your body rest as much as you can. If you've got kids and you're like, there's no way I could rest, see where you can get some help to rest. Like just prioritize your body's need for rest when it gets ill. Okay. I know a lot of us, especially females work through our illnesses because we can, we're like superheroes when it comes to ignoring <laughs> pain and discomfort. Unfortunately, I don't love that about us, but at the same time, it is kind of a superpower. But with that said, we need to be at rest more. We need to be examples of resting more and taking care of ourselves because all we've ever seen is sacrifice, 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 right? And we don't need to do that all the time. It's not helping anyone. It's not helping ourselves. And ultimately it's setting a bad example, especially for our daughters or whatever. So Take the rest that you need when you can, especially when you're ill, especially when you're ill. There's nothing less cute to me than when I see people working really hard while being sick. I'm just like ultimate martyr, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know to me. I'm just like, come on, can't you take like a sick day? Like, especially if you are, you know, actually sick. <laughs> it's something that I've had to like actively work on with my fiance even. Um, and so it's really important that you understand you have a birthright of resting when you're ill. It shouldn't be any other way than that, okay? If you have to do the bare minimum to take care of your kids at the same time, totally understand. But at the same time, maybe ask your partner to step up and do more, you know? Whatever it is that is hopefully possible for you, I hope that you can prioritize that and kind of work around not taking over and ignoring your body when it needs rest. All right, third thing that I always do is I up my major immune supporting supplements. So I always, 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 always make sure that I'm taking as much of these vitamins as possible. As you might notice, they pretty much are exactly the same as the vitamins that are correlated to a weakened immune system. So I'm always upping my activated B complex, vitamin A, vitamin C, my vitamin D3 plus K2, vitamin E, copper, magnesium, selenium, zinc, so I'm always taking like an electrolyte powder. I really like Redmond Relight and the Noons and UUNs. You can find a lot of the stuff that I talk about and recommend actually on my website, coachkales.com. I always forget to tell people about this, but if you go to my, I think it's services tab, a little thing will pop down and it says like affiliates and Amazon. Click on that and I've got a bunch of my recommendations, especially from brands that I trust. And especially taking a good quality electrolyte is really important. I really am not a fan of things like liquid IV and such. They don't have a complete mineral complex involved in them. And so I don't think that they're worth taking uh, during at least for sure when you're feeling ill because you need something that's got more robust mineral panel going on in it, okay? Um, and then I make sure that I always take something that has zinc plus bisglycinate. Bisglycinate is a form of the zinc that gets into your body more easily in the gut. So you might've heard of like magnesium bisglycinate or magnesium glycinate. Those are also very great variations, like a higher absorbable quality version of magnesium to get into your stomach that won't like send you running to the bathroom. If you have constipation, magnesium citrate is important for that, but, and for muscle relaxation. But as far as trying to get magnesium into your body for a lot of the other systems that it supports, which is like a million systems. If you're, if you're not taking magnesium, you need to be taking magnesium. Again, it's linked on my website if you want like a recommendation, but even just looking up on Amazon, magnesium, bisglycinate, you'll find some good quality ones. You need to be taking that, especially anytime you're sick and when you're not, especially for my ladies out there listening, you gotta be taking it. But anyways, zinc activates your T cells. Your T cells are your fighting cells. Do you remember the cells I was talking about that are kind of like your Spartans? T cells are the ones that you need to support. Zinc is the cofactor to activating those T cells, helping them get ready to fight, essentially. It's basically kind of like if you were to give them a pre-workout. <laughs> Zinc is the pre-workout for your T cells. <laughs> So that's going to be, I've got a lot of metaphors going on in this chat today, but anyways, um, that's why it's really important to take in. So you'll see it in a lot of things. Like if anybody's ever taken emergency and you usually see, it'll be like 
a big giant blast of vitamin C plus zinc. That's why it's because both of those things tend to work together to help um, support your immune system. Okay. So one more of the less popular supplements that I incorporate into my um, illness supplement stack, I guess I'll call it, is L-glutamine. Um, L-glutamine is an amino acid that's used throughout the body and is especially important for your gut health because it provides the fuel source for the cells that line your intestines. So factors including like stress and alcohol consumption, like I was talking about, can increase inflammation in your gut and damage the gut lining. This is what we see a lot, which that's what increases your gut permeability, leaky gut, and it weakens your immune system. It's all kind of like a bing, bang, boom, you know, unfortunately. So L-glutamine helps reduce the gut inflammation and it supports the healing of your gut lining. So that's where studies have shown that supplementing with L-glutamine improves your immune system and decreases infections, actually. So you can get L-glutamine again on Amazon or wherever. Um, I would definitely go for a quality company such as Vital Nutrients, uh, Designs for Health and Pure Encapsulations or Thorn. I believe all of those companies have a supplement with L-glutamine. So I would highly recommend you take that. And usually they say take like five milligrams in between meals two to three times a day. If you are if you are somebody who is dealing with like leaky gut, that would be an important thing for you to consider incorporating into your day-to-day. I believe Designs for Health has an L-glutamine supplement that is a powder that you mix into like water. That would be a really potentially easy way to get it into your stomach. But again, some supplements get damaged in your stomach acid. So sometimes it can be better to take an encapsulated one because then it um, takes a little bit of time for the exterior gelatin to dissolve in your gut and then it can get into your gut less damaged, if that makes sense. So something to consider, but L-glutamine is very important and I do like to incorporate it when I'm sick to help my gut. I also like to incorporate it in general when I know that my gut has been irritated, when I'm like higher bloaty, drank too much alcohol for not TMI, but like if, if ever I'm having like dealing with diarrhea and stuff, that's like unusual. The more you get like in tune with your body and recognize symptoms, it really helps you take care of it better. So getting really down down and dirty with understanding what foods influence your body to do something a certain way and um, what life stressors are um, encouraging certain symptoms to show up more than others. Um, One of my clients started to really realize she was getting very significant rashes and eczema when she was going through way too much stress at work. Stuff like that is really important to become aware of because then it helps you Take care of yourself better, which is the goal. And the fourth thing that I do is I keep my nutrition as anti-inflammatory as possible. So this means that I'm upping my fibers, veggies, good quality fruits that incorporate vitamin C. I actually don't take a ton of vitamin C as a supplement when I'm sick. Like I don't really take emergency. I try to actually get it more from my fruits. So like mangoes and citrus, obviously. There's a lot of vitamin C even in bell peppers. So there's a lot of fruits and such that are available to you that provide good quality vitamin C and other minerals naturally and fiber, which is really important. And I try to eat good quality proteins, good healthy fats, a lot of olive oil, you know, things that are very supportive to an anti-inflammatory situation internally because keeping my inflammation down is helping my body do what it's supposed to do with the inflammation that is already going on um, as it's fighting these pathogens, right? So it's actually a scientifically proven thing to make sure that you're not causing issues in your gut so that your body doesn't have to divert its attention to taking care of that and fight the pathogens because that is actually an issue that tends to happen is a lot of people just kind of mindlessly eat. Maybe they go get a lot of junk food because they just want comfort food and they're putting their body in a state of like, okay, do I focus on this this food that I can't seem to digest because I can't identify it? I don't know what it is or all those inflammatory oils like canola oils that came in from all these French fries and okay, wait, but I've got to fight these pathogens. You know, that's like legitimately an issue. And then also, oh, I need to filter out this alcohol because I decided to have a glass of wine while I binge Netflix and eat my fries, you know, <laughs> like whatever it is, again, no judgment, but it's like, it's something that we tend to do because when we're sick, we want to comfort ourselves, right? And comfort tends to come from food, but you're kind of throwing more fire at the fire 
currently going on when you do those things, because then your body has to divert attention to filter out the toxins and then deal with the inflammation that came in from the food and, you know, all that stuff. So I hope that that's helpful for you to kind of get a bigger picture as to why it's not ideal to do those things. And frankly, for myself, like when I stick to more clear boundaries around anti-inflammatory diet during my illness, it definitely helps me feel better coming out of it as well. So again, I also like to incorporate like bone broths and clear broths. So like you can make really good like chicken veggie soups with bone broth and like ginger and other healing natural foods that the body recognizes and actually is supported by versus a bunch of these weird things that modern society has said like, oh, do this when you're sick and eat that when you're sick and it's okay, eat the Doritos. And in reality, it's like, no, just go back, go back to the roots, go back to the roots of time where we knew that taking care of ourselves and drinking herbal teas and uh, having nice brothy chicken soup for the soul type of vibe, you know, like it's legitimately a thing. And also the collagen and such that comes in from bone broth actually is another thing that supports your gut health because bone broth has L-glutamine naturally in it. So that's another way that you can get it in without having to take a capsule. So clear broths are very important for uh, consuming a lot during illness uh, because by reducing inflammation and activating your immune cells, you're reducing the risk for conditions that are known to weaken the immune system. Okay. So that's very important. It's also important to note that I do cut out caffeine while sick. It's important to kind of remove stimulants and such because they can increase your dehydration and inflammation and they also can keep you awake when your body is really trying to rest and sleep. So I would almost always say cut out caffeinated beverages as much as possible. If you need like warm things, go for the herbal teas and such or non-caffeinated coffees, you know, that kind of stuff. And that would be a better route to take. But I also didn't mention that it's very important as far as supplements go, consider taking like three to five milligrams, no more than that, of a good quality melatonin. If you're somebody who gets like melatonin nightmares, like weird nightmares and things, that typically means that you're taking a poor quality melatonin. Um, I looked into this one time because I've had several clients that are like, I don't like melatonin, it gives me creepy dreams. I'm like, that's odd. I've literally never heard of that before. And so I looked it up and it's totally a thing, but it has, from what I researched, so if you know something else too, let me know. But from what I researched, it's not because of the way the person's brain reacts to just melatonin in general. It's typically because of a low, poor quality form of melatonin from whatever company made it. So I've, I tend to recommend like pure encapsulations or thorn and things like that for my melatonin because I haven't had any issues with it. And several clients that have switched to trying pure encapsulations at least three milligram dose of melatonin, they've not had the weird dreams that they usually have on the other forms that they used to purchase. So I would consider looking to that. But the reason melatonin is so important when you're sick is it helps you get into deep sleep, which is your recovery sleep. It's where your body is really able to like hone in and focus on killing the pathogens. So if you're somebody who is in discomfort and you take NyQuil because you want it to knock you out, NyQuil typically utilizes the active ingredient in Benadryl and such to make you drowsy and fall asleep, but that doesn't actually encourage you to get into the deep sleep. Melatonin does, and it's natural. A lot of people are for some reason kind of scared of melatonin, but they'll pop like ibuprofen. It's really weird. It's such a weird thing. <laughs> uh, but regardless, again, a better quality melatonin and try just like three milligrams to one to two hours before you're trying to doze off or just at any point when you're sick because if you're just sleeping throughout the day too, that's important. But it's going to help you actually get into deep sleep. That's why it became a scientifically backed, recommended part of a healthy natural protocol for fighting the recent virus that was going around because it was clinically proven to help people fight it better and faster because of the deep sleep factor. So that is really important to note. I forgot to mention that, but I remembered it now. So um, I would add that to the supplement list if you're somebody who's like really having a hard time falling asleep. Okay, and number five, the final thing that I do is, <laughs> it's not sexy guys, it's not sexy. I give myself 
grace and patience to fight the bug. <laughs> I know before you like run away and just like, that was stupid. It's not stupid. It's really important. And um, I think that it's an interesting angle to approach because I think a lot of the times we're just like, I just need to kick this thing. I need to get back to work. I need to do this. I, I need to be functioning again. I hate being sick. I don't like not being optimized or whatever. I'm missing my workouts, you know, whatever it is, this is a great time for you to practice mindfulness and presence, like being present with your body, like you're down for the count. And it's almost always the best time for you to kind of return a little inward. And I know that that's scary for a lot of people, which is probably why they're just like, I'm going to work through this illness and just show up at work because I don't want to have to think about my life and I don't want to have to think about my regrets or whatever it is. But if you take this time to like heal and, and give yourself the space to heal, you have a great opportunity to maybe journal, maybe read a book that you've just had sitting on your like table next to your bed for like years or months <laughs> and a variety of things. This is a great time to slow down and be present. I think that that's something that's very lost on us a lot nowadays. And we're, I know my generation is working really hard to remind people that like leisure is a birthright. Being still is positive. You don't have to be moving all the time, you know, um, which is a huge lesson that I'm unlearning constantly, like constantly trying, trying to take space for myself, but it's really hard to, I get it, you know, but illness is forced space for yourself. It's a very important time for you to honor yourself, have some grace and you most likely, especially if you're a consistent lifter like me, you're going to be really bummed because you're going to be kind of set back on your strength for like at least two to three weeks, maybe. And I would recommend that the moment you feel better and you don't have symptoms anymore, you don't go hardcore balls to the wall and get back into your lifting, like the same weights that you were doing before you got sick. I always recommend grade yourself back in. So start a little regressed, do 40 to 50% of what rates you were doing for one week, increase it by 20% until you're back to hundred percent and then go from there because you're going to take better care of your joints. You're going to prevent injury and you're honestly just going to not be like beat down and sore the whole first week when you're trying to get back into it because it's not really honoring your body. And it's just kind of, a, again, another manifestation of some toxic corporate culture that we've all kind of learned. Um, maybe that isn't you. Maybe you're totally honoring it. Maybe you don't even lift. So when you're no longer sick, you don't do it. But then for those people, I would definitely encourage you to consider incorporating more movement after you were ill, continue to improve and support your immune system. Because even just walking two to three times a day, getting your heart rate challenged, like bringing it up into the 150s at least, and then dropping it back down is really key, especially for heart health. But immune system health in general. So that's why we do see a lot of people who are more active bounce back, quote unquote, from illness way faster than people who don't. So that's also a good time to feel inspired and encouraged to uh, explore more activity and movement post illness, especially for looking to have long-term longevity and benefits of overall health with your immune system altogether. So I hope that all of those things were helpful for you and that you've gotten a little bit better understanding of how to approach a little more holistically and intuitively with your immune system every single flu season. And our flu seasons have been increasing. I don't know if you noticed, but also it's been logged on the like center of disease control that we're now creeping from like September, October, all the way into like the end of May as a prime illness seasonal situation that's like most of the year we only have like summer where there's no like frequent illness floating around that we're all spreading to each other so it's not something to sleep on literally um unless you are sick then sleep please <laughs> but overall i think that that's gonna wrap it for today so again i want to invite you to share this episode with anyone in your life that you think can truly benefit from today's chat and I think that it would be amazing if you felt so called to give the show a five-star rating if you're on Spotify. It's super easy. If you're on Apple, throw us a little star rating and maybe a nice review or on the comments. That would be amazing because then it helps spread the word to more people about not only my perspective of wellness, but just being a rebel against <laughs> any of these standard polarizing approaches to your health in general that is just so common nowadays. Anyways, I hope you celebrate your strength and nourishment. Walk with confidence and I will catch you on another episode of Rebel Wellness next Sunday.
are still listening, thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, I have some exciting news for you. So if you would love to join our newsletter group, you can join us on coachkales.com or you can join my stand store at stan.store backslash kales k-a-i-l-e-s and that's an awesome opportunity for you to snag some freebies that i've created including a macro hack grocery list that is going to help you kind of design a custom grocery list especially for following macronutrients because as you know if you didn't listen to my macros in may series i would go back to those episodes because it has been a game changer for so many of our listeners for getting more on top of how to shape their physique and their health goals with the food they're eating so don't sleep on that go get your free download s-t-a-n like stan the man stan.store backslash kills and you can also join our newsletter from that And if you would like to reach out to me, chat, maybe work together, you can also contact me through my website, coachkales.com. And I would absolutely love you to join our Rebel Wellness Podcast Instagram, which is at Rebel Wellness Podcast. And you can also join my flagship coaching page at Coach by Kales. That's where it all began. That's where I share the most um, kind of custom to what I do work on specifically with my clients on that page. So join that one. It's all feminine wellness focused. And I share some great stuff, some goofy stuff, things that you just don't want to miss as well as healthy recipes and things and easy recipes because we all kind of need some easy grab and go things, don't we? So I would love you to join both those pages as you'll be joining a community of like-minded females who are all committed to living their best lives. So hit that follow button. And I would love if you felt the need to share and rate our podcast. We would love that. Anyways, thanks for listening. And I hope to catch you next Sunday or say hello on the gram.